Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. This week, Paul Crutchley, one of our central site pastors, continued our Summer in the Psalms series. And I'm going to hand over to him now. Well, hey there. Uh, We're in our summer series today. We're continuing uh, our Summer in the Psalms, The Heart's Cry. And over the last couple of weeks, we've heard Sophie unpack uh, the cry of lament last week. And then the week before that, we had James unpack the cry of adoration, of praise. And today uh, I'm continuing looking at the cry of remembrance. And we're going to be in Psalm 77 today. And in the first half of that psalm, we see the the psalmist, a guy called Asaph, he's in absolute despair. He's in the pit. And actually, many people preach out of Psalm 77 to preach on lament. And and the first half especially fits a lot with um, what Sophie was talking about last week. Uh, But then the second half of Psalm 77, it flips into this desire to remember all that God has done. So as we kick off, we're going to jump straight into the Psalms. So we're in Psalm 77. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them. It's going to come up on the screen as well. And we're reading from verses 10 to 15, and then also verses 19 and 20. And so it says this. Then I thought, to this I would appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And then jumping ahead to verse 19. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. And Aaron. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in today's uh, message, Lord. And as I preach your word, would you uh, just unpack it to people? Would you unpack the truth in it? Would we be encouraged and equipped? And through the preaching of the word, Lord, would you minister to your people? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I came across uh, a great story about a year ago uh, from a man named Glenn Schrader. He uh, worked for John Wimber, the guy who planted the the vineyard movement. uh, And Glenn worked with him and was mentored by him for many years. And in this story, Glenn recounts how in 1982, he and his wife went from America to South Africa to plant the first vineyard church there. And after a a few weeks, they started to run some evangelistic meetings. Uh, And in those evangelistic meetings, they pray for healing for people. And John Wimber, before one of the one particular meeting, he was speaking with Glenn and Glenn's wife, Donna, and the rest of the team. And and he was saying, I feel like God wants to do a miracle tonight, filling in someone's teeth. And Glenn and Donna, who, you know, are only 19 at this point. So they are, they're pretty young. And by their own admission, are quite new to praying for healing and, and seeing God move like that. But, you know, they've gone out to South Africa to see God move and they want to see miracles. So they're like, okay, this is a bit out of our comfort zone, but we're up for it. Uh, and so at the end of that meeting, John shares this prophetic word with the room and lots of people respond. Uh, and one guy came forward and Glenn and Donna go to pray with him. And, he, you know, he says to them, look, you know, I don't have any teeth in the back of my mouth. Uh, and I believe that God wants to give me new teeth. And Glenn, you know, being absolutely full of faith, is there going, uh, I don't think that was the word. <laughs> I think the word was for fillings, not for whole teeth. And Glenn shares how, you know, his, his second thought then is, 
well, if we've got to pray for whole teeth, like that is way above my pay grade. I don't think I should be the one praying for that. And so he's there kind of going, what's going on? But Donna, full of a bit more faith, which is often the way with wives full of, more full of faith than husbands. She goes, you know what? Well, let's pray for you. And somehow the idea gets flated whether it's from Donna, whether it's from our toothless patient here who's ready to get prayed for, uh, Glenn can't really remember. But the idea gets flated that Donna should put her fingers in this guy's mouth to lay hands on his gums. And Donna is only like five foot one at this point. Uh, at this point, I don't think she's got any more grains, to be fair, but she's five foot one. And she's got going on kind of her tiptoes to reach in and lay hands. It's getting pretty weird right now. That is a pretty weird thing. But you know what, they start praying and after a few minutes, they both scream because teeth appear. Out of this guy's gums, teeth pop out. Can you imagine seeing a miracle like that? That's mind boggling. I mean, it's mind boggling that you've got your hand in another man's gums. That's pretty mind boggling. But it's even more mind boggling that whilst you do that, teeth would appear. Where there were no teeth, suddenly teeth are there. Isn't God cool? I don't know any other gods that make teeth appear when you pray for them. What's really interesting though, as Glenn shares this story, he talks about the fact that as time passed from that amazing miracle and as life moved on, the enemy started to sow a seed of doubt in Glenn and Donna. And they began to ask, did that really happen? Did that miracle actually take place? And it's funny, isn't it? That even after seeing something so clearly miraculous, that there is no other logical or credible explanation for what happened other than God moved. If you give it long enough, you start to doubt whether it really happened. You know, you start to maybe have the skepticism seep in, maybe the cynicism appear as well of, well, you know, maybe we were just lucky and we were the, the, the day, there the day that his teeth came through. Maybe puberty just hit this guy late and that was the day that his teeth were going to come through. You know, we have those, don't we? It's silly, isn't it? Because of course not. Of course, it's because we prayed, but the doubt seeps in. Now, apparently, John Wimber wouldn't let Glenn and Donna forget this story. He would tell it time and time again, both to encourage people, but I'm sure also to remind Glenn and Donna of what God did that day. One thing I love about this whole story is that God in his kindness actually reconnected Glenn and Donna with the pastor of the vineyard in South Africa, a guy called Costa Mitchell. Some 15 years later in 1997, they were all at a vineyard conference in Anaheim, California, uh, and Costa shared with them how recently a man had come up to him and said, are you Costa Mitchell? And he was like, yeah, and he was like, and then he said this, I've been looking for you for a long time. In 1982, I was at a meeting of your church and a little American girl put her fingers in my mouth and prayed that God would give me new teeth. And he did. I've been wanting to tell you thank you. My life hasn't been the same since. What an amazing faith-filled story to kick us off with. But why do I share it? I share it because it is incredibly easy to forget what God has done. Even when we see amazing miracles like they did, it's easy to begin to doubt and then to forget what God has done. Often at the time we encounter a big miracle or the, the time that we have a wonderful moment in God's presence, it feels like we're never going to forget it. It feels like we'll never stop living in the excitement and the faith that that moment has brought. But then time passes and suddenly we're back loading the dishwasher, back putting out the laundry, back in the mundane moments of life and doubt and scepticism come in. 
And maybe we go from being full of faith and excitement to actually just feeling apathetic. You know, if it was easy for Glenn and Donna back in the 80s and the 90s, how much easier is it for us today with the constant bombardment of information, breaking news 24 hours a day, instant updates on social media? You know, how many of us have tried to spend time with the Lord and 30 seconds into reading uh, the Bible or praying or maybe worshipping, your phone pings uh, with a WhatsApp notification and, you know, automatically you pick it up and look at it and, and reply. And then on autopilot, you suddenly open Instagram or you open BBC Sport. And then you're like, well, hang on a sec, I'm supposed to be spending time with Jesus and here I am reading about the dressage final in the Olympics. Like, I haven't cared about dressage ever, but right now it's the most important thing. And it's like, look, hey, don't get me wrong, the Olympics are on right now and like, let's enjoy them and be part of it. And sometimes life happens, we get interrupted. But the danger is that as life goes on and we live in a distracted society, we stop remembering what God has done. And all of those other things in our life they begin to shape us more than the truth of God. God knew that we'd find this hard. And so throughout the Bible, right from the beginning, we read that God instructs people to build things called altars of remembrance so that we wouldn't forget what he'd done. Uh, it, this you know, happens, it might have happened after a profound encounter like Jacob had when God gave him a prophetic promise in a dream. And we read about that in Genesis 28. Or like Moses had when God gave him the Ten Commandments, which we read about in Exodus 24. And those are just a couple of examples, but it happens time and time again. And when that moment happens, God would instruct his people to make a physical altar so that whenever they see it, they would be reminded of what God had done. It would be a physical landmark that both you could go to, but also that you couldn't miss. That if you were living around it, it would be a visible reminder day to day, an ever present reminder of what God had done. I love the way it's explained uh, in Joshua 4, after God had dried up the Jordan River so that the people, his people could move across the river into the promised land. And Joshua says this to the guys who are building the altar, and this is in Joshua 4 verses 6 and 7, and it says, Joshua says this, it's to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. An ever-present reminder that means we can't but help remember what God has done. That not just for us, but for future generations, we will remember what God has done. But why is it really important for us to have these altars? Why is it important for us to remember what God has done? Our focus is a matter of survival. What we focus on shapes who we are. So our focus is a matter of survival. And you know, there are many reasons, but I just wanna pick four as to why having altars of remembrance is so important. The first one is this, altars of remembrance keep our hearts soft. There are a lot of reasons in our society to be cynical, to feel hopeless, to feel anxious, to feel overwhelmed. And if we focus on those things, it will lead us to our hearts becoming hard, to not believing that God will move, to not believing that he's good, to not believing that he's worth following, that his ways are worth, worth living. So if we want to stay full of faith, if we want to stay full of hope, if we want to keep our hearts soft, we need to make sure that we balance all of the stories and messages we hear from our culture with the stories of who God is and his truth. 
that we focus on the right things. So that's the first thing. Altars of remembrance keep our hearts soft. The second thing is altars of remembrance keep us in the game. COVID has rocked many of us. And for many of us, it has shaken our faith. It's forced us to ask questions about what we, what we believe. It's forced us out of our normal rhythms and routines. And some people in this time have fallen away from the faith. They've decided, actually, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. No, I don't, I don't know if I can trust God anymore. And you know what? I think so often a big part of that has been that the focus hasn't been on God, hasn't been on reminding ourselves of what he's done, of who he really is. Maybe our, our focus has predominantly been on our present struggle or the disappointments of the past, or maybe the things lost in this season. And it hasn't been on God and who he is. You know, we see this happen in marriages too, right? So many marriages end in divorce. So many relationships don't make it to marriage. So many kids are growing up in broken families. And it's not the only reason, but one reason is because of where people's focus is. Marriage is hard at times, it is. And when it's hard, if you focus on the niggles, the frustrations, the differences, then you're gonna find it tough to honor the commitment that you've made and stay in the game. Whereas if you focus on the good times, the happy memories, the things you love about the person, it's easier, not necessarily easy, but easier to stay committed to the person, to stay in the game. The same is true in our relationship with God. Believe your beliefs, doubt your doubts. Focus is a matter of survival. And when we have altars of remembrance, it keeps our hearts soft. It keeps us in the game. And then it gets us out of the pit. You know, the first half of the psalm, which we didn't read, but as I, as I said at the start, it's Asaph in the pit of despair. You know, he's going through a really tough time and, and many of us have been in that, or in that maybe right now. And Sophie talked about this last week and, and the, the beautiful need in our walk with Jesus to lament and that it has a real place in our Christian discipleship. But see, when we find ourselves feeling overwhelmed, when we find ourselves in seasons of doubt, having a rhythm of remembrance, remembering God's faithfulness, remembering his mercy, it can help us get out of a negative headspace. Now look, it's not the only way to get out of the pit and it's not the only thing that's gonna solve you, but it's a really, really helpful tool in your toolbox as you're like, actually, I wanna get out of this pit of despair. I have an altar of remembrance. Come back to what God has done. And then fourthly, Altars of remembrance build our faith. You know, the story I shared at the start of teeth growing, that is an amazing story. And it, you kind of hear it and it's like, crikey, God can do that. Wow. And look, I know that healing, uh, for some people, it's a real issue of like, oh, I struggle to believe it. I don't know if I've seen it. Does it really happen? But I tell you what, if you start regularly reading stories of healing, if you start talking to people who have been healed, if you start talking to people who have prayed for people and seen them be healed, and if you start to focus on those things rather than your doubts, faith will start to build in you. You will start to believe that it's possible that you could pray for someone and, and with the authority of Jesus, you could see them be healed. And so as you visit the altar of remembrance, what you're actually doing is you're looking back to go forward. You're looking back to become emboldened to believe that what God did before he can do again. You look back to posture your heart and your life to be ready to take part in the miraculous. You know, if you're regularly hearing these stories of healing and talking to people who pray for healing often, it's going to become a natural response 
for you to want to pray for healing when someone's ill or injured. Maybe someone in your workplace, they've sprained their ankle. And that week you've heard stories of sprained ankles being healed and suddenly you're going to be like, well, actually, maybe I've got the faith to believe I could pray for that person and see them healed. And so maybe then you take the step and you go for it. Now, you might pray for them and they might not be healed, but they definitely won't be if you don't pray for them. So what have you got to lose? If you start praying for people to be healed, you will see people healed. It might take a few attempts. It might. Steve Nicholson uh, will often say, go pray for 100 people and then tell me you haven't seen someone healed. And I love that challenge. It will come though. Whether it's for healing, whether it's for breakthrough or deliverance or for you know, your teenager who's on a wayward path right now. When we visit the altars of remembrance, it gives us faith that God can break in and move. That what he has done before, he can do again. So our focus is a matter of survival. And we remember to keep our hearts soft. We remember to keep us in the game. We have altars of remembrance to get us out of the pit and to build our faith. We look back to go forward. And so if we want that to happen, we have to start building altars of remembrance. And in the Psalm we read today, Psalm 77, we find some helpful insight into building our own altars. Psalm 77 gives us three themes that I just wanna unpack quickly. And the first one of these is remembering God's works. And verse 10 and 10 to 12 says this, then I thought to this, I will appeal. The years when the most high stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. The first theme in building an altar is to remember God's works. That's what Asaph is doing here. Now, this could be what God has done for you personally, or it could be what God has done for your family or for your church, our church, or for your business or your company, whatever it might be. It could be personal. It could be a bit more corporate. Just to give you um, one such example in my life, an altar for, for me is that um, uh, when I prayed for one of my best mates, a guy called Adam, who some of you will know, he spent a little bit of time in Cardiff a few years ago, but uh, Adam and I grew up together in London and Adam broke his back playing rugby, broke the bottom of his spine uh, and was in terrible pain thereafter uh, and for a number of years. And the kind of pain would ebb and flow, but it'd be pretty constant. And he came to visit me one weekend, uh, I think it was kind of end of 2012, start of 2013, that type of time. And he came up for the weekend and we spent you know, the Friday night together, the Saturday, and it was clear he was in lots of pain. And I'd, you know, I'd prayed for him a number of times before and kind of in that moment, just being sort of classic boys, we were sort of just laughing at his pain rather than kind of being kind and praying for him in that moment. But it got to the Saturday night and we had, uh, we got some pizzas in and we put a movie on and I was there and I was just like, oh man, I kind of noticed walking that afternoon, Adam was struggling to even step up the curb. He was in so much pain. Uh, and so we just hit pause on the intro of the movie. Whilst our pizzas are there, you know, starting to get cold. And I said, Adam, can I pray for you quickly? And I prayed a quick prayer. You know, I, I don't remember it being particularly full of faith. I don't remember it being particularly profound. Uh, I prayed once and nothing happened. And I just prayed again quickly. And then suddenly Adam was instantaneously healed. And he described it as like a tap being turned on and the pain just rushing out of his back down his leg and going. And it was mind boggling. It was like, what on earth have we just seen? The God of the universe has just showed up and healed Adam. And that's an altar I go back to. A moment where I'm like, man, I'm reminded that God has the power to heal, that God wants to use me, but also that God will show up 
in the normal moments of life. You know, this wasn't a, a particularly holy moment after a worship service where, you know, there's pads playing and we've invited the Holy Spirit and everyone's kind of ready to receive the Lord. This was a moment where we'd been probably having a load of banter and laughing all day. We'd got some pieces in, we're about to watch a silly movie and we just prayed quickly and the power of the Lord came and healed Adam. And that for me, whenever I go back there, it reminds me of who God is. <laughs> it, it reminds me of his works. And I'm like, whoa, God, thank you, Jesus. So that's a work I go back to. What is one in your life? What can you remember where you've seen God do something? You're like, okay, all right, that's an altar for me to go back to and remember what God did. So the first one, we remember God's works. The second one, we remember God's nature. Verse 13 and 14 say this, your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Our authors aren't just for the things that God does, but Asaph here is turning to God's nature. It's for who he is. You know, our primary way of knowing God's nature is through the scriptures, of course. But in my experience, God often reveals his nature to us in his kindness through profound encounters. Uh, it might be that during a time of worship, you've just had a real sense of the love of God or the peace of God fall upon you. Maybe you've been kept being moved to tears and God is just revealing his compassionate heart to you. Maybe it's a moment where his mercy swooped in and took away your shame. But you had a profound encounter in a moment. And let me just tell you about a moment for me that I had. Again, just to give you an example of some of the altars in my life. Uh, I remember back in, this would be 2014, I was on discipleship school out in the States, I was out interning out there. Uh, and as part of that, every Wednesday morning, we would go up and we would uh, kind of have coffee and have Bible study and discussion with an amazing man that we'd call Papa Ken. He was like the grandfather of us like, interns whilst we were out there. And I learned so much from Jesus, about Jesus from him. But there we were one Wednesday morning, we were sat on his patio and we were talking about how do we reconcile Jesus as the truth in a post-truth society that says, you know, you have your truth and I have my truth and, you know, what is truth anyway? And during the discussion, you know, we're just sat around like, having a you know, normal discussion, like not praying, not kind of inviting the Holy Spirit or anything like that. The holy presence of God fell. I've not had many moments in my life like it, but the presence of God came in such a tangible way and we were awestruck. And the 12 of us guys, you know, kind of in our early mid-20s, and Papa Ken, who must have been, you know, kind of late 60s, early 70s at this point, we got on our knees. <laughs> and, and we were just awestruck before Jesus, worshipped him, encountered his holy presence. And that was an, an, a profound encounter that I had, where I encountered God's nature. God revealed something for himself. So for me, that's an altar that I go back to. Obviously not the, the patio, it was over in America. It's 3,000 miles away or whatever. But that moment, and I remind myself of how holy God is. You know, when I'm doubting, I go back to that moment and I remember that I wouldn't normally get on my knees when drinking coffee on someone's patio and having a chat. That's not like a normal thing for me to do, of just go mid-conversation, drop down, and suddenly be like awestruck before the Lord. And so the only reason I did that was because the tangible presence of the holiness of God showed up. So when I'm doubting, I go back there and it builds my faith. And then thirdly, 
we remember the Lord's saving activity. So verse 19 and 20, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, they your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Finally, Asaph is remembering God's saving activity here. He remembers Moses and God leading the people out of slavery, but that is a foreshadowing of God's greatest saving activity through Jesus. The most important altar we can build is the one where we remember the great lengths that God went to in order to deal with our sin once and for all, in order to bring us into his kingdom as his children, to make us new creations. Jesus on the cross, Jesus, God crucified so that we might live. If all else fails, if I can't think of a time when I've seen God's works, if I can't think of a time where I've encountered his nature, and some of you might be, might be watching and go, that's me. I don't know if I can think of that. If all else fails, we can cling to the unchanging truth that Jesus died so that we might live. He died to save us. And that would be enough. You know, when I think back, a sinner like me, redeemed by Jesus. That's enough to get me out of the pit. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but actually if I come back and I remember it and I spend time dwelling on what God has done to save me, that will build my faith. Jesus gave us an altar of remembrance so we would never forget that communion. And I know that over COVID communion has looked different, but that's why it's a regular part of our church rhythm so that we would keep coming back to this, this ritual that enables us to remember what Jesus did for us. And we're actually going to take communion, as I think Ian would have said in, in the notices today, we're going to take communion at the end. So if you haven't had a chance to grab yourself already, hit pause, go grab a bit of bread, grab some juice so that we can take this together at the end. But as we build our altars, the three helpful things to focus on are God's work, God's nature and God's saving activity, or another way to put it, God's salvation. You know, all of us build altars in our life all the time. Now, we probably don't use that language, of course, but... For a number of things, we do it. Relationships and friendships, career milestones, uh, maybe exercise milestones, you know, if, that's your, if that's your thing. I know for me, I talk about CrossFit a lot, but I'll have milestones where I'll, I'll, you know, I'll remember when I've hit a PB on a lift or something like that. So there'll be these kind of milestones. Milestones in our kids' lives. We build altars of remembrance for those things so we go back to them. I was reminded of an altar that Claire built, uh, actually just, it was just this last week. It was quite fortunate that it happened like that. But Nora, our 10 month old, she's at a stage where she just wants to pull everything off of shelves and out of drawers and covers and things like that. I'm sure most of the parents who are watching would have gone through a similar season. Uh, and we were in our bedroom and, and Nora pulled off a notebook from uh, the bedside table. In the tidying, I popped it on the bed. Uh, and uh, that night, Claire and I were chatting about it. And it turned out that neither of us actually knew what this book was. And so we opened up and had a little look through. And it turned out to be full of things that we did at the start of our relationship when we were dating through to being newly married. And Claire had just, you know, any time a nice thing, whether it was big or small, happened, she'd just jot it down, you know, a little line about what happened. Uh, and there were some small things in there, like uh, a moment when I dropped off some custard creams to her house uh, when she had a long shift. And I was, you know, I just kind of cycled over, dropped off some custard creams uh, and, you know, through to the big stuff when we met parents, all of that kind of stuff. And what was funny is that as I read through it, I was reading things that I had totally forgotten about. Not just that I couldn't really remember, but that I don't know if I, I wouldn't have known even happened. So if you'd have said to me before, like, before this week, oh, you know, did you at any point 
ever drop off biscuits to Claire's house when you were dating? It'd be a bit of an odd question to open with, but let's say you did. Uh, I'd probably thought, oh, like, no, I don't think so. But it turns out I did. Turns out I, I'd done that. Claire had built this altar of remembrance. But you see, the problem was we hadn't visited it over the last few years. And so we forgot what it was there for. We forgot the things that it included. Building the altar is only part of the process. We have to visit it. We need regular rhythms of remembrance in order to help us keep coming back to these altars. Let me just, as I'm coming to close, throw out a couple of practical ways that you could do that. Things that I found helpful, but hopefully you'll find helpful as well. It might be picking one night a week where over dinner, you just share about what God is doing in your life right now, but also share stories of what God's done in the past. And you just say, okay, every Wednesday night, or maybe as part of a small group, you say, actually, okay, it's part of a small group. We're just going to begin, but we're going around and we'll just share stories of what God's done in our life. What a way to just have a regular moment of revisiting the altars of what God has done. You could set up a WhatsApp group with a couple of friends and just say, hey, look, once a month, could we post some stories? Or could we just share what God's doing in our lives so that we've got, A, a reminder to do it, but also a place to come back to to read through. Keep a journal, like Claire did, but go back to it. Just have those moments where like, and I know some people are like, oh, journaling's not for me. And when I say keep a journal, I'm not saying you've got to like write out pages and pages of things. You know, this journal that Claire had, it was literally just, you know, a line for an event. You get those one line a day journals. It was kind of like that, where it was just going, this happened, and now you can go back and remember it. Uh, I, I love to use my birthday as a time to reflect uh, and on the year past, but also the year ahead. And so maybe that's something you could do as an annual reminder to go, right, Lord, what have you done in me over the last year? What have been some of the things I've been praying for? Have I, have I seen you move? And that's where the journal is really helpful. You just go back and go, oh, I remember actually 10 months ago, I, I was praying for this breakthrough in work and it happened. Maybe it happened six months later. And it's a moment where you go, oh, maybe I forgot that. I prayed for that initially, but Lord, thank you that you moved in my life in that way. Uh, I've turned 30 recently back in March and I did it for the whole decade. Uh, and I was like, oh man, you know, it was an amazing process because it humbled me to realize and remember how far God had brought me from my early 20s through to now being 30. It inspired me to see what he's done in me and through me. But also it filled me with praise, at remembering how good he has been both in, in the good seasons, but also in the tragedies uh, of life that have happened over the last 10 years. Uh, another couple of ways, and this is, these are especially good if you're there and you're like, I don't think I've got any of these myself. You know, Paul, you've got that great story of praying for your friend and healing and that amazing encounter. I don't think I've got these. Well, I really encourage you, read stories of faith, testimonies, biographies, books, just begin to read them and borrow others' faith, borrow other stories. Be inspired by what God has done in them. And then, and then finally, read the scriptures. You know, it's, it's simple, but it needs to be the place we always come back to. Read something like Hebrews 11. That's a great place. I encourage all of you this week, go read Hebrews 11. It is just bam, 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 bam. Reminder of what God has done. Through faith, through faith, through faith. And it's like, God did this, God did this, God did this. And just to have a moment to read and dwell on it and be like, whoa, look at all the wonderful things that God has done. I actually encourage you, read the last few verses of chapter uh, chapter 10, read chapter 11, and then read the first few verses of chapter 12. So I encourage you to do that. So what are the altars in your life? And how often do you visit them? And what does it look like for you to build a rhythm of remembrance so that you don't forget what God has done, so that you live a life full of faith, that your heart remains soft, 
that you posture yourself to see the miraculous happen. Now, as we close, I want us to take communion because as I mentioned a few moments ago, one of the most important things, or the most important thing we can do is to remember what God did for us on the cross. And so uh, what's going to happen, I'm going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians uh, and then a worship song is going to come on. And I would really encourage you uh, to use that worship song to take communion during it uh, and then reflect and pray and worship Jesus in this moment. So this is 1 Corinthians and it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Full and bound 